Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at believing? Welcome to episode 46 of the Lovable Podcast. Last week, we focused on creating space in your life to practice your passions by quitting activities that are inconsistent with your most valued roles and inconsistent with who you've discovered yourself to be. This week, we're going to take the space created by quitting those activities, and we are going to do something a little counterintuitive with it. We're going to build some monotony into it. In other words, we are going to focus on building structure around the practicing of your passions. By the end of this episode, you are going to be more motivated to make a habit of doing the things you love. Before we get rolling today, though, a couple of quick reminders. First, I want to remind you that the second in our series of talks about parenting courageously will take place on Tuesday, October 16th at 7 p.m. at the Alive Center in Naperville, Illinois. This is a partnership between my practice, Artisan Clinical Associates, On Balance Parenting of Naperville, Illinois, and the Alive Center. Uh, In the first talk last month in September, uh, we had about 25 parents and educators gathered together talking about how some of the ideas that we've been sort of indoctrinated to believe about what what makes self-esteem strong in children are actually completely wrong and how to actually help our kids cultivate true self-esteem. This week we're going to talk about some of the... um, some of the myths that we have been taught about what is what real success is. And we're going to begin to define that and redefine that for us as parents and educators, what it means for our kids to be truly successful. So I hope you'll join us. If you want to, it's free. Go to eventcombo.com. That's eventcombo.com. Search Heart Talks and then sign up for your free ticket there. We'd love to see you on October 16th. Also, remember, the comprehensive, lovable study experience is available now. Everything we've been going through in this podcast, all of the written content that goes along with the year of listening, loving, and living, as well as an individual and group study guide for lovable is available for free on my website. You can go there right now to get it at drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. Again, that's drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. While you're there, you'll also find the instructions uh, for ordering copies of Lovable for yourself, your small group, or your organization, so don't miss out on that. Also, while you're there, you can sign up for my mailing list at the top of the right sidebar. You'll immediately get a free ebook entitled The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down, and you'll get a free sample of Lovable. Uh, and then each week, you'll get just one email on Wednesday mornings with links to helpful content. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. How do we begin to build habits into the practicing of our passions? Thanks for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 45 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, Why the Most Mundane Life is Sometimes the Most Passionate Life. We are in the home stretch in this year of listening, loving, and living, and we are focusing specifically on very essential, very practical ideas for practicing the passions you've begun to notice drifting up from that holy place within you, that truest, worthiest, most lovable self 
that is who you really are. Today, we're going to focus on how you can become intentional and habitual about the practicing of those passions. Before we do, though, let's check in about your experiences so far in these months of living. I want to hear more about the passions you're reconnecting with, what resistance you're noticing, and what are the successes and struggles you're experiencing as you try to overcome it. And specifically, if you have practiced last week's exercise, which was focused on identifying your most valued roles and passions and beginning to quit other activities and commitments in order to make space for those, what have you decided to quit or cut back on? What are the challenges in that? Or how does it feel to get free of some of that baggage? And while you're thinking about what you want to share with regard to, to your passions and the practicing of them and the quitting of things that aren't consistent with them, um, I thought I'd share with you an experience I had this week, which to me emphasized another dimension of this idea of quitting, which is quitting before you get started. <laughs> um, and what I mean is specifically, um, I was asked if I wanted, uh, you know, petitions are open. I live in a small town now. Petitions are open for the local school board for the second time in two election cycles. I've been asked if I would be interested in running for the school board. Um, and two years ago, I used my five roles as a, a litmus test um, for whether or not I, it, was, it made sense for me to run for the school board. I checked in with my true self, and the answer was definitively no. Um, and, and so... Uh, in the past, whereas I might have agreed to, to run for the school board, or um, I might have been sort of tortured uh, about whether or not to do so, am I making the right decision, or sort of tortured by the idea of disappointing people or letting them down, um, the answer came very quickly. Nope, that's not part of my five roles in life at this point. It's, it's way too peripheral to my passions. Um, there are people where that will be central to their passions. Turned out one of those people was my wife, and she ran for the school board and was elected. Um, and so the question came back to me again here two years later. And once again, I was I, I didn't just I didn't just say no offhand, but my reaction was to think through again. What are my roles? Have I made space for a new role in my life in the last two years? Um, do I think of that? You know, joining the school board as part of my role as a parent, or do I see it differently at this point? Um, and and checking in with my true self about is that is that something that that I I want to be doing I desire to be doing right now, and the answer again came back a little less definitively, um, but still no, and uh, and so I was able to say no to that, and and I think because of that in the same way that two years ago because I said no a space was opened up on the ballot for someone who was passionate about it my wife my clarity opened up the space for someone like that to step into that role and the same is going to be true of you. If there are things you set boundaries on and say no to that you used to agree to, you know, that you used to sort of grit, grit your teeth and do, that space will then be opened up for somebody who truly is passionate about that thing. So it's not just about quitting things you're already doing. It's also very much about setting boundaries on and, um, and having clarity about things you do not want to do, do not want to say yes to. Um, so curious to hear your thoughts about, uh, about that about how clarity about your most valued roles or your passions can begin to serve as a, a filter, a lens to look through you know, your decision-making through, um, or, or again, anything else that might be coming up for you as you're, you're becoming aware of your passions and, and thinking about or starting to practice them. Marie writes, I had an aha moment when I started listing all the different volunteering that I did before all of those activities were peeled off of my life for me. I had mistaken each volunteer activity as a role 
when the real overarching role was participant or contributor. This clarity is a big litmus test for me as I begin considering potential commitments. Yeah, that's really good, Marie. Um, in, in using that role definition as a, um, as a litmus test, you don't want to confuse an activity for your role, right? So, um, and it, it introduces complexity into it because clearly one of my roles is parent, is father. Um, and I had to, to do some discerning there. Um, I mean, school, my kid's schooling is part of being their parent, um, but is serving on the school board part of that role for me. Now, some people would answer yes, um, according, according to the, the passions of their true self, my wife being one of them, yes, um, that, that is part of being a parent. It is part of being that role. Um, but for someone else, it isn't. Um, for me, for the last six years, um, being a soccer coach has been part of my role as a parent. I don't see it as a separate role, soccer coach or anything like that. So yeah, so we have to be clear. It, the role itself doesn't just do the trick, but but using that role as sort of a, a filter to sort through what parts of my commitments belong to that role. Carrie Lynn writes, one of my passions is to talk about the deeper things of life with folks who are willing to dive in the deep end with me and swim around for a while. I've decided that one of the ways I'm going to pursue that passion is to host a book study in my home. That book will be lovable. Oh, that's awesome, Carrie Lynn. We will use the free materials that you have graciously provided. I am so happy to hear that, Carrie Lynn. Um, I, the, the lovable part, of course, um, but the clarity of the passion, like we've been, we've been trying to disentangle our passions too from activity, right? That um, the clarity that I've sort of come to that my passion that underpins a bunch, all, all sorts of my roles, therapist, father, writer, the passion that underpins all of those is my desire to speak in the tender voice of a father. And here you are going, there's a, there's a, a more overarching passion that underpins so much of what I want to do with my life, and that is diving deep with people, um, going into the deeper things of life, moving below the surface that so much of life is spent on and going deep. And that opens up this whole this whole range of potential activities for you to engage in. And I think I think starting a book study in your home is such a great example of that. Like, let's go deep into something rather than sharing, you know, twenty twenty um, pithy blog posts on social media or twenty memes or twenty videos. Let's get deeply into this material and uh, and discover the depth of each other in the midst of that. Um, that to me is super exciting. Um, good for you. And I'm obviously thrilled that you're, you're going to use lovable. Deb F writes last week when we talked about dropping one activity on Thursday, was it for the day or forever? Can you clarify? Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't remember, uh, I was drawing upon a story told by, um, an author, Bob Goff about how he quits one activity every Thursday to make space for new things in his life. And, uh, and so we, we sort of use that idea of, you know, let's quit something every Thursday. Um, let's quit things frequently in order to make space for new things. The question is, is that just for that day or is it for the forever? And I would actually, my gut reaction um, to that, Deb, is that it's somewhere in between, um, that it's for now, right? It's for, for this season of my life is what we're saying. And that's why when I go back to that example of the school board, I had to check in again. When I said no to them um, two years ago, it didn't, wasn't no forever. It was no for this season. And in this next season, two years down the road, is it still no? Or, um, and, and it was less, 
it was less no, right? And so um, maybe in the next, uh, you know, in the next iteration of things, it becomes a yes. But for this season, um, for a time being that is sort of indefinitely defined, um, my true self is saying that's not part of part of where I want to spend my energies right now. Donna writes, good morning. Now that I said yes to my passion, I'm experiencing moments of what compares to a roller coaster ride that, oh dear, how did I get here moment at the top just before the coaster zooms down. I want to lean in daily to that breathtaking aspect of my life right now when anxiety threatens to overwhelm. Your podcast always helps center me, so thank you. Donna, well, a couple things, Donna. Um, number one, um, tune in next week, um, and we'll talk more about this later, but next week we're going to be talking about how when the practicing of our passions takes us to a point of vulnerability, which they almost always do. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how ordinary it feels or how, how private even it seems. The practicing of your passions takes you back to a point of vulnerability. We're going to be talking about what to do at that moment of vulnerability and that, that really that moment of vulnerability is courage um, to continue. So we're going to be focused on that next week, number one. But I happen to know that Donna's uh, passion is creating and, and building um, a, a retreat center, an event center in the beautiful hills um, outside of, um, is, it, is it Park City? Am I getting that right? Um, Park City, Utah. And, um, and that one of the first things that's going to be happening there is a lovable retreat weekend in uh, the last is it the last weekend of April we're going to be doing this together? So for those of you who are listening in, um, if that sounds interesting to you, please reach out to me by email, and um, and we will uh, we'll, we'll give you some more details about that. Official details will be rolling out soon, um, but this is going to be a really really special event. Um, I'm to, to me it's going to be as much a celebration of Donna and her husband Gary's um, pursuit of their passion as I mean we're going to get to be. We're going to be talking about worthiness, belonging, and passion literally within structures that represent the, the fruit of all of that courage and pursuit of someone's passion. I just, it's going to be such a blessing to be a part of. So, um, so yes, Donna, um, we, we're there with you. The vulnerability that you're feeling is normal and ordinary, and uh, we're going to walk with you through it. So super excited. Correct me, Donna, if I, I think it's the for you, literally the number four letter U ranch um, Facebook page. You can go there to begin to get information about um, about that that passion as it's literally taking material form um, for Donna and Gary. And uh, I'm sure there'll be announcements there too about uh, the lovable weekend in April. So um, feel free to check that out right now. There it is. Donna shares the, the, the URL, actually, the foryouranch.org. Good stuff. Um, Brenda writes, Last Thursday, I quit trying to force myself to drive somewhere after six hours of trying. I just called my mom crying and said I wasn't going to make it for lunch the day I was able to make myself drive there. Depends on the day, but it was okay to quit on Thursday. Oh, that is such a beautiful reminder to all of us, Brenda. Oh, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly. I don't think I have. Brenda, um, my, my one phobia is driving over very tall bridges. Um, I've never totally been able to overcome it. Um, driving east to my, my wife's family's house um, out in uh, Delaware often takes us over the, um, the Bay Bridge, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, outside of Baltimore. And the first several times I drove it with my kids in the back, I had, I had panic attacks. And I kept telling myself I was just going to get over those panic attacks. I was going to, you know, I'm, 
I'm the, the psychologist who knows how to get over these things. And finally, um, a number of years ago, I said to my wife, I want you to drive the bridge. <laughs> I'm done with this. I'm just going to, it's okay to not be able to overcome this one. It's okay to be able to rely on your people um, and your places of belonging when you just have something you can't get around. And uh, and so now when we get we get to the Bay Bridge, we make the last stop before the bridge. We trade seats. She drives the bridge. The family makes fun of me the whole ride over, and uh, my kids get to see that it's okay to be human. So, Brenda, thanks for letting yourself be human. Um, thanks for calling upon your people when uh, when you you didn't have it in you. Um, that's 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 what this is about too. This whole practicing of our passions is when we get to a place where we just don't feel like we can do it. We call on our people, and we get a clearer sense of what our places of belonging are. Just last uh, last Thursday, in the middle of the day, I called my wife up. I said, "I got I got something right now that's going on that is stressing me out so much. Um, I need I need I need you to center me here. <laughs> what do I do? How do I approach this? Um, the anxiety is building. It's unproductive, and uh, and you know she sort of helped kind of carry me through that. So um, anyhow. Thank you, Brenda, for that vulnerability. We all need to hear that it's okay to surrender and call on our people every once in a while. Shelly writes, thank you for sharing, Kelly. I felt much shame for not always being able to be all that others expect me to be. Yeah, um, I think it was probably around the time that I was in therapy, and I was—I think I was talking about that, actually, with my therapist. He said something like, yeah, you know, Kelly, maybe, maybe you don't need to be the best at everything. <laughs> Like maybe your wife's better at driving over a bridge and you should just let her do that. <laughs> and there was such freedom in that. Like, oh, yeah, I don't have to conquer everything. Um, I want to I wanna have a courageous spirit that on the whole moves towards the things that I'm afraid of. But, you know, we're not superheroes. Carrie Lynn writes, oh, those darn bridges. I barely made it over any bridge for years until one day I couldn't cross the bridge. My heart was pounding out of my chest so hard I had to pull over at the foot of the bridge. I couldn't cross it. I stood outside of my car, pounding on the roof of my car, throwing an all-out temper tantrum, yelling at God for everything bad in my life. When I was done screaming and crying, I got in my car and I drove over that bridge. I had to pick up my kids and declared to no one in particular that fear will never stop me again. Confronting my fears is my biggest passion. Um, I, well, I love that, number one, confronting your fears is your biggest passion. I also love, you pointed out something that is essential that we'll be talking about again next week, which is um, we used to think that you got rid of your fear and then you and then you did the things you wanted to do in your life, sort of the old cognitive behavioral approach. Address your fears, eliminate them, now go live. And what we now understand is that you live in spite of your fears. In fact, you, you, you decide what you value in life enough to move toward even though it's, it's scary to move toward it, right? So you value your kids and picking up your kids enough to cross the bridge and overcome your fear. What's interesting about this, this conversation happening right now is that in three weeks, um, I am speaking at and participating in a men's retreat down in the Florida Keys, and there's only one way to get to the Florida Keys by car. <laughs> it's to go over a lot of bridges, um, and I'll be on my own and driving on my own, but I've decided that, that I value that enough to, um, to, to move toward it. Um, so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more um, that we, we sort of want to figure out where is the, where's the fear we want to move past to get to the things that we value, and where do we want to rely on our people to help us do that? Debbie writes, not sure if this is what you mean by what hinders my passion. For me, I think it's, quote, this doesn't make me any money, maybe struggling uh, with realistic needs versus passions. 
Yeah, Debbie, and this is something, again, I would probably refer you back to, to maybe previous episodes on because um, that is one of the forms of resistance against practicing our passions that we've tried to address right out of the gate, which is if it's not making me money, if I can't demonstrate um, a monetary value on practicing this passion, then it's not worth doing. Um, and there's all sorts of complexity to that. Maybe, you know, maybe it means that uh, we need to continue to be doing something that does sort of support our passion. Um, maybe we work a day job and then in the evenings or at five in the morning, we wake up and do this other thing. As I talk to young people, I'm always careful to say, um, you know, that uh, your passion must always be balanced out by a paycheck. Yes, there's realities, financial realities, but how can we begin to find wiggle room within those realities to also practice our passion with no expectation, actually? None that it would produce monetary value. In fact, this week's reading about moving back to my hometown arises from a decision my wife and I made that, to her credit, she said, we need to make space for you to practice your writing and to not have to make money from it. So where can we live more cheaply? Um, what would that begin to look like? And, and it led to this decision to move. So, um, yeah, how can I practice my passion without having to rely upon it for monetary gain? Um, frees us up to consider more passions. Laura writes, if I have a passion, I don't know what it is. Um, and Laura, you're not alone. It's so important that you said that for everybody who's listening in and probably still a little bit frustrated that they're not getting a ton of clarity about their passions. Um, I say several times throughout the book that if if this particular, throughout the companion book, I should say, the listen, year of listening, loving, and living, that if this exercise is just, you're stuck, um, it's not resonating, you haven't you feel like you haven't arrived yet at a place that you're ready for this exercise, then then go back in the, the year of listening, loving, and living to an exercise that does resonate with you, to a week that does resonate with you, and camp out there for a little while. Because this whole process builds on itself, this process of embracing your true self and your worthiness, beginning to reveal your true self to your people, and getting the support and the encouragement of who you are and the clarity about the direction that you want to go with that in your life, and then beginning to let kind of awareness of your passion start to filter in and, and, and guide you. Um, and so if it's not resonating, it's totally okay. It's just to say at this season in my life, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm not primarily engaged with this task. I maybe am primarily engaged with getting to know myself better or getting to know my people better. It's totally okay. Um, yeah, Laura writes, I need to find past live talks, I think. So Laura, um, I, I say it at the beginning of this talk, you can go to um, drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. It's drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. And it's all organized for you there. Um, suggestions for reading the book, a study guide for reading Lovable with yourself or with a group. And then it's got all of these podcasts organized. You can get um, the readings for each week and uh, a link to listen to this podcast either on my website or on iTunes. So um, a way to kind of, um, I'd be really curious actually in a few weeks if you had a chance to start to, to work through some of that, if what week you notice that you feel like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the leading edge of my growth right now. That's what I want to focus on. So um, as, you, as you begin to sort through past uh, episodes, please do feel free to check in and, uh, and then entrust, entrust that at some point as you work through this process, um, you, you will arrive at this week, this week where we're going to be talking about making the, the practicing of our passions a habit. You'll arrive at this week and you'll go, oh, I know exactly what I want to start practicing. So that will happen, um, but be patient with yourself. It is a process.
Deb F writes, for me, Amber, I came to realize I love being a good friend who could have who could have thought that was a passion. I get such a tickle out of seeing them succeed, seeing them happy and encouraging them when they need it and being there when things are at their worst. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful passion, Deb. The passion for being a friend. Thank you for sharing that. All right, everybody, thanks again for another wonderful discussion. I think we could keep going. We will keep going on the other side of this reading, um, but let's transition now into, into this week's reading, which is really an extension of this whole discussion. Um, I think we can think about it this way. As I make space in my life by quitting some things I've been doing and saying no to some other things I've kind of normally agreed to do, what do I do with that extra space in my life? Um, and the temptation is to believe that, okay, I've done the hard thing, I've made some space for my passion, so now I'm just going to jump right into the adventure and excitement and thrill of following my passions. But the truth is actually way more ordinary. Um, first, you have to build habits into that space. Um, and I think if I ever get to write a second edition of Lovable, like if I had to add one chapter, it might be this week's reading. Um, so I'm glad you're listening to it right now. Here it is, week 45 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, Why the Most Mundane Life is Sometimes the Most Passionate Life. I couldn't find a darn thing. During the week after we moved back to my hometown, I was completely discombobulated. New house, new light switches, no place for my keys, different cupboards, a microwave with strange new buttons, unmapped nooks and crannies, boxes still taped up and holding answers to many of the questions I was asking. Everything slightly different. Small differences, which taken separately were pretty insignificant, but when taken together, amounted to standing in the middle of the room bewildered. And for crying out loud, where is the toilet paper? Now, two decades since I last lived here, where's the ATM? And which stores contain which groceries? And who provides phone services around here? And what time does the Walmart close? Because those screws I thought weren't very important turn out to have been really important. And what are the rhythms of this place? And how do we fall into them as quickly as possible? Usually, the idea of routine seems boring and mundane and a little slavish to me, but it only took four days with absolutely no routine to make me ready for a routine again. Regularity and order, normality, mundanity. Not because I'm tired of adventure, but because routine is the birthplace of adventure. You see, adventure is a good thing, even a great thing. It holds endless possibility. It stirs our hopes and dreams. It gives us room to be transformed. It gives us space to work out our redemption. It brings new things, and some of them may be painful, but many of them are likely to be brilliant, too. Adventure is gutsy, and it makes us feel a little more alive. Adventure can reveal to us who we are and who we want to be. It can point us back to the best things inside of us and around us. But continuous, relentless adventure is ultimately unsustainable for limited, finite human beings. Our nervous system can handle only so much excitement before a constant state of fight or flight makes us sick. Adventure as a lifestyle is Hollywood sexy, but it just doesn't work very well in real life. And we romanticize adventure at the risk of devaluing that which makes healthy adventure possible, routine. All those boring little things we do over and over again, the same way every time. All those parts of life that feel a little dull, like a steady and stable marriage or the same route to the grocery store or the friend who always shows up or paying the bills at the first of every month. Adventure isn't a way of life. Adventures are the moments made possible by the way we live. Adventure is made possible by the boring. Several days into our big move, a million loose ends still dangled from the edges of our life, and I spent a whole day setting up my home office. With so much spiraling and chaotic around us, I wasn't sure if it was the wisest use of my time. But something inside of me was hungering for a space I could count on. And the next morning, when the alarm went off at 5 a.m., as it does every morning I write, and I got up and poured myself a cup of coffee with the same amount of cream and sugar as any other morning, 
and I sat down to write my first blog post in two weeks at a desk that had been replanted from the home where I'd written for the last four years, I realized it was the best decision I'd made all week. I realized the regularity and order of the space made it possible to jump headlong into the adventure of words. In the words of Gustave Flaubert, be regular and orderly in your life so that you may be violent and original in your work. I want to be violent and original in my art, which means the rest of my life around that adventure needs to be a little boring, a little routine. I need to know where to hang my keys and where to find the toilet paper, and I need to know that Walmart is open around the clock and that the rhythm of this place is simple to find as long as you're willing to stop and breathe and look around for a little while. What looks boring is what makes possible all the wild worlds I want to write. What if we quit lamenting the repetitive routines in our lives and began to embrace them, not as a barrier to the adventure we want to live, but as the container for the adventure we are dying to live? The truth is, every single one of us is an adventurer. We have unmapped territories within ourselves to explore. Every single one of us is an artist. We all have something we want to create, something good we want to birth from the center of us. Every single one of us has a voice whispering at the edge of our heart, beckoning us into something new and risky and probably breathtakingly beautiful. This question, the question isn't, should we create? The question is, will we create? And will we let the boring repetition of our daily lives be the canvas upon which we create? Your adventure awaits you. Make a habit of it. So that's this week's reading. Um, and as, I, as I'm reading it, I'm curious, you know, for those of you who are already practicing your passions, um, what are some of the habits that you've built into that practice? How have you already made it a regular and intentional exercise um, what do you struggle with in doing so? What gets in the way? Um, for instance, you know, like once you once you get that intentional, once you once you start to make a habit of it, once you start to tell people, no, I can't hang out because I'm I'm doing this thing over here. You know, you're advertising to everybody, including yourself, how much it matters to you. So maybe then failing at it will matter even more. It'll feel like a public event. You know, what are the things that maybe get in the way of establishing this sort of habit um, and routine and the practicing of our passions? Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear, to hear your thoughts about, about the concept in general. Carrie Lynn writes, I give myself deadlines for small elements of my passion. I break it into pieces, small manageable steps in the overall process. For my new passion of learning to play piano, I found that I was stumbling with reading the notes. I bought flashcards and I put lessons on pause to give me a chance to catch up. I'm doing so much better. I will resume lessons in two weeks. That is awesome, Carrie Lynn. I mean, you're demonstrating a sort of intentionality um, and um, dedication to the practice. Um, like, if you told somebody, I'm really passionate about doing this thing, I just bought flashcards, right? <laughs> Most people would be like, that doesn't sound very exciting. That doesn't, I don't think of flashcards when I think of passion. But passion, practicing your passion is built up of the building blocks, right? The building blocks of very ordinary, intentional, sometimes sort of um, gritty um, things that all add up to being able to do this thing you're passionate about. So that kind of intentionality habit, that, that will serve all of us well. Um, and I think we can sort of all carry that away. Flashcards. What's the, what are the flashcards I need to be dedicating myself to in the practicing of this passion? Heather writes, I have to admit, I don't have a habit around my passions, photography, painting. I tend to just have a creative burst and go do my thing. Heather, I think, and I think that that's, that's totally normal and totally okay. I think that what we're trying to do is sort of prepare ourselves and safeguard ourselves against the day when the creative burst dries up, right? So, you, you know, maybe three months from now, um, you discover that 
um, the, the, the natural intrinsic motivation that, that energy seems to have sort of evaporated. And, and so you can't rely on it anymore to go practice your passions. Um, so what you're, you're doing then is you're sort of beginning to protect against that by building in a habit that you can rely upon when some of that natural energy starts to dry up. And what, what we often discover is that it wasn't the passion that went away. The passion isn't about um, zest or energy. The passion is about um, desire for something in our life. Um, and so uh, if we build that habit in, um, then on a day when, when the spontaneity isn't there, we go do it anyways and we discover about an hour into it that the energy is coming back, for instance, or that um, maybe it's not coming back that day, but two days down the road it does, um, and we begin to discover new things that we wouldn't have discovered otherwise. So the, the building in of the habits sort of is, um, is a plan B for when some of that energy dries up. Heather responds, so basically try to avoid the creative blocks by creating the habits. That's it. That's so, <laughs> so much better said than I did. Avoid the creative blocks by creating the habits. Good stuff. And so let's get into more practically um, something about that this week. Week 45 practice. We'll talk about something that we can do to, to begin to build in um, habits that can protect us from creative blocks. Last week, we focused on creating space in your life to practice your passions by quitting activities that are inconsistent with your most valued roles and inconsistent with who you've discovered yourself to be. This week, we're going to take the space created by quitting those activities and build some monotony into it. In other words, let's focus on building structure around the practice of your passions. Let's make a habit of them. One of the most common things I tell couples in my therapy office is that they need to schedule time for communication. In our highly coordinated and programmed modern world, everything important goes on a calendar. The time gets blocked out for it. It gets set aside. I tell couples they need to give their communication the same level of priority. Put it on the calendar. Title it Talk and schedule it, for instance, from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday before waking the kids up for school. This week, do the same thing for the things you're passionate about doing. Decide where you can be orderly about your schedule so that you can carve out a regular, repetitive time and space for practicing your passion. Yes, you will want to fill that time with chocolate and television and Facebook. Resist this urge. Pay attention to the deeper things you want to fill it with. Also, resist the urge to do something extraordinary, something that will feel immediately meaningful. In the space created by what you quit, perhaps you will read a book you've been wanting to read, or color a coloring book you've been wanting to color, or see a friend you've been wanting to see. Whatever it is, be mindful of how it is connected to your long-buried passions. In this way, your passion will become a habit, and your life will begin to reflect your commitment to those things which make you come most alive. So this concept of a calendar is, to me, so critical. Um, you know, many of us have either raised young families or we've, uh, are in the midst of raising young families and every, you know, every family, when you've got two kids with two extracurriculars and you've got, you know, school back to school nights and field trips, every family's got a family calendar and, um, and our passions ought to be on that family calendar. Um, and everybody in the family ought to be about supporting that space and that time. Um, I, I, I feel so blessed that my wife has never, ever um, questioned the dedication to the, the space on our family calendar for the practicing of my passions. I feel so blessed by that. Um, so for instance, right now in my life, I work all day Monday and Tuesday at my clinical office. Um, most of Wednesday is dedicated to recording and producing this podcast. 
And then on Thursday morning uh, from 8 to 1, and on Friday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., is blocked out time for writing. And it's on my calendar. Um, the family knows it's on my calendar. And nothing gets scheduled during that time. And it's so funny that we're talking about this right now because I'm just realizing, against my better judgment, I agreed to schedule a phone call during that time tomorrow morning. I don't know if I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But that broke my rule, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to start breaking that rule. That time is sacred. I've given it to my passion, and uh, and I don't want anything else to crowd in on that because all sorts of stuff will crowd in on that. You know, temptation to check social media or just respond to email or text a friend or. Um, you know, make a phone call or pay a bill, but that's that that time is protected from all of those things. Um, so I would encourage you to begin using your calendar to schedule time for the practicing of your passion. And whatever happens during that time, if you schedule the time, if you exist in that space and protect it for your passion, it doesn't matter what you do or during that time, it's a success. Uh, I had a, for instance, recently I had an article that was commissioned by a magazine, um, and I spent two of those five-hour blocks one week working on that article um, and at the at the conclusion of my writing that week at Friday mid-afternoon I reread what I had and I trashed it I deleted the whole thing weeks worth of weeks worth of writing gone <laughs> um, I mean I didn't do it it's in a folder somewhere and it may get resurrected in another form at some point but um, I made zero progress towards producing that article for that magazine that week but the week was a success because I protected my two five-hour blocks for writing. So I want to encourage you to, to be that dedicated and that habitual in, uh, in making that time. Emily writes, The Lovable Podcast is on my calendar. My husband takes the kids to school on Wednesdays so I can be here. Oh, Emily. Well, grateful for, for that. Grateful for you. Grateful for the example, right, that you've put this on your calendar um, and that your husband is supporting you in that. Um, by taking the kids to school on Wednesdays. That is a beautiful example of how the pursuit of our passions is intermingled with our places of belonging and the support we get there and uh, how they, they sort of go together. Thank you for that. Um, and please tell it your husband on, on behalf of all of us, thank you. Carrie Lynn writes, quote, that time is sacred. I've given it to my passion. I love that so much. Um, yeah, you know, I think, I honestly think you can look back at your calendar. Um, or, I mean, if you... And I actually recommend this oftentimes to clients. Actually, schedule every minute on your calendar in 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 retrospect. In other words, go back at your week, um, or even do it as you're going through your week. And if um, from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. you um, you scroll through Facebook, put that in your calendar. Um, Facebook scrolling. Um, and when you look back at a week and sort of see how every minute of your day was spent on your calendar, your calendar can tell you about what values you are living according to. And then you can make reasonable decisions about, is that how I want to allot my time? Am I living according to my, my truest self? Or am I living according to other people's agendas? Um, advertisers or marketers who've convinced me that I should spend the time in a certain way, for instance. Um, so yeah, that decide what time is sacred and then you're going to give it to your passions and, uh, and make that a habit. Deb F writes, yes, blocking out the time will be a discipline unto itself for me. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's its own discipline. You're not necessarily making space just for the discipline of practicing your passions. Blocking the time is a discipline. One of the great things about doing this on an electronic calendar is that uh, you can set the time for this week and you can hit repeat and uh, begin to challenge yourself to build future weeks around that. The first, first few you may not be able to. Um, next week, oh, I've got... 
I was going to do this from 10 a.m. to noon. Um, I was going to practice my passion, but I've already got a meeting scheduled in there at 11 or a coffee with somebody or whatever that I can't move. But now I know in future weeks not to schedule something from 10 to noon because I've got it set on repeat. So electronic calendar, um, you know, you can get it on any phone. Most of us have a phone these days. Um, pick your time, set it to repeat, begin to gradually clear out that sacred space. Joy writes, I just jumped on in the last five minutes and that is exactly what I need to hear. I put my book writing on my calendar and I don't hold it as sacred. I allow myself to get distracted by everything else. Um, remind me how to catch these episodes that I miss. Um, well, Joy, first of all, um, you can always be reminded, make sure you're signed up for my email list. Um, you can go to drkellyflanagan.com and sign up in the right sidebar. Um, and then when you get that email on um, Wednesday mornings, it's a, it has a, a link. It says, hey, we're talking today at 9. Um, click here at 9 and you can join us. So, um, so make sure you're on the email list. If you think you are signed up for the email list and you're not receiving them, check your spam folder um, on Google Gmail. Check your promotions folder. Um, email clients work harder and harder to, to make sure that the stuff you've asked me to send you doesn't get to you <laughs> So because there's so much stuff out there. Um, so just uh, make sure you're getting that email. And Joy, I want to respond to what you said, um, that yeah, there's these, these two pieces of it. There's blocking out the time, and then there's honoring the time that you've blocked out and uh, being very intentional about keeping, keeping other demands outside of that space. Brenda writes, calendars are time budget systems. Brenda, you just nailed it. Um, how much of, how much of the, the time you have in this life do you want to budget for doing the things that your truest self really wants to do? Um, and if you decide you want to budget time for it, the calendar is your budget system. Tells you where tells you where you want to put that time. That is so good, Brenda. Thank you. Marie writes, what a good reminder to be more intentional about holding my habit of quiet time in the morning as sacred and honoring my passion versus thinking it's just a luxury for me to have that time and allowing all sorts of extraneous things to override. Yeah, that's exactly right, Marie. That, uh, that centering time in the morning um, is essential. Someone... <laughs> Someone said to me this week that this week when they were waking up in the morning, they had a hard time finding their smile, right? And if we're not intentional about it, first thing in the morning, it'd be really hard to find our true self. Um, so to have that intentional time in the morning to connect with that, uh, your entire day will flow, flow more easily from your true self um, and be lived closer to your passions if you're taking that time first thing in the morning. So yeah, don't. it's not, it's not a luxury, that's a necessity. Thanks for saying that, Marie. Heather writes, just keeping a calendar would be a habit for me. I tend to fly a bit by the seat of my pants. Well, and Heather, I think what our interactions here about kind of the way that you tend to do your photography and the way that I'm suggesting sort of that, um, you know, that uh, that safeguard against creative blocks, um, I think it, it reflects differences in personalities too. Um, I think we have to acknowledge that and be aware of that, that some personalities are... are it, it comes very naturally for me to use a calendar. Um, I, that sort of organizational piece of my personality is deeply entrenched. It's been there my whole life. Other people that feel sort of imprisoning or suffocating. Um, they people maybe perhaps like yourself like to live a little bit more freely um, with less plan. But I I'm suggesting that what comes easily to me could be beneficial for everyone in the same way that what comes easily to others might be beneficial for me to learn how to do. Um, so I think this is one of those things I'd recommend, even if it doesn't kind of come as second nature. Heather <laughs> writes, live freely. Hi, yep, that covers it. A bit of free spirit over here. Well, and I think that's getting right into the tension, that the, the paradox that we're trying to, to address this week, that, um, that some regularity, 
some structure, some intentionality, some habit can actually free up a free spirit to live their passions more freely. Um, and, uh, and it's, there's sort of a paradox to that, but I think, uh, you know, I, I've, I've talked to so many, uh, passionate, talented, uh, creatives who, because they, they, they don't make that shift to practicing regularity. Um, they end up very frustrated in terms of what, what's coming out of their, um, their passion. So I encourage you to, yeah, everyone to consider the paradox of that, that even if, uh, you tend to be a free spirit, um, being a, uh, a habitual spirit uh, actually promotes your freedom. Heather writes, solid point. Heather, um, thanks for your willingness for me to, to, to dialogue with me about that today. You know, like for instance, the way that I'm challenged, uh, I'll give you an example of it that, of in reverse order. Um, so I, I'm really structured Monday through Friday, and my temptation is to have a big long list of a to-do list on Saturday. And one of the ways my wife has challenged me and uh, other people in my life is Saturdays are free, no plans, nothing to do. Saturdays are all free spirit. Well, would you believe that on Saturdays where I am just letting myself be free spirited and not intentional and habitual, that some of my best creative ideas emerge in that space? <laughs> and I've learned that if I don't give myself that free space, then all of my tendency to organize and plan and control actually snuffs out a lot of my creative spirit and ideas. So there is a balance here to, to acknowledge. Um, and so appreciate you listening to me kind of putting my side of the balance out there. And uh, I certainly understand the value of your side. All right, everyone. Thanks again um, for another discussion that could clearly continue into next week. And I hope will as we sort of recap this, this exercise next week and get your reactions to it. So um, after we do that next week, we're going to be talking about entering in, into the practice, as I've mentioned today, of the things that scare you, the things that make you feel uh, most vulnerable. So we're going to be talking about vulnerability and courage in the practicing of your passions next week. It'll be week 46 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, You Aren't Here to Be More Happy, You Are Here to Be More You. Until then, remember, you are lovable. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made, from her album, Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable.